Well, good evening. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Richmond on this Wednesday evening. Uh, we don't have any worship tonight, so uh, I'm going to just open up the evening directly into just saying welcome and uh, glad you're here tonight uh, for our Bible study, our midweek study. We've been away for several Wednesdays uh, as we've been uh, dedicating those Wednesdays to prayer, uh, which has been a great time. We've had a lot of people participating in prayer, and uh, but we re really felt like the Lord would have us to restart here in May uh, to have teaching on Wednesday night, so uh, we're glad you're able to join us. Uh, logging in right now on our website, calvarychapelrva.com, and uh, I just want to say welcome if you're visiting with us. Uh, we're glad to have you here tonight, and uh, this is a, a study that I did a little while back as a conference call, and I wanted to kind of take it from that and put it into a teaching format where we can present it tonight and take a look at things in the times we're living in and the prophecy uh, that is in the Bible that tells us so much and informs of us uh, how the Lord would have us to think and act and walk in the times which we're living. So uh, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. We're just going to read two verses from Mark chapter 13. And then we will open up in prayer and get right into our study. Mark chapter 13 Verse 29, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Let's pray. Father, we just bow before you again tonight thanking you, praising you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit, we have your word, we have the relationship with Jesus through his blood. Lord, I pray that even now you would settle our hearts, allow us to sit at your feet, hear your testimony of the present, of the future, and even the past, where it all fits together. And Lord, we would not be caught up in all the fear and worries of the world, but, Lord, settled, strengthened. Lord, I pray that these prophecy perspectives would, again, remind us of your perspective. I pray for each person watching and listening. If they don't know you as Lord and Savior, they won't wait any longer. Come to know you. Bless this time. Remove me once again from the equation, as it were, that we would hear from you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for this time. Amen. So, I'm going to ask you, if you're looking at the screen, do any of these words look familiar to you? A lot of them out there, virus, quarantine, of course, and a bunch of other words up there. Unless you've been living under a rock, the first four months of the year, you've seen all of these dominated in the news in the first, half, first few months here of 2020. They can be unsettling to us, which is why it's really good to limit our intake of the hypersonic rate of news and the hyper-slanted, in one way or the other, news mediums that are out there. And instead, open up our Bibles, the Word of God. And instead of spinning us up, it'll calm our hearts and settle us down. 
But I, I'm going to tell you up front, you're going to need to attend tonight and next Wednesday to get the full measure of what I believe God wants to speak to us about here tonight. In one of his Peanuts cartoons, some of you may like Snoopy and Charlie Brown and all that, all that gang, Charles Schultz portrays Lucy and Linus looking out the window, and Lucy says to Linus, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Linus responds, it'll never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that this would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy replies, you've taken a great load off my mind. Linus concludes, sound theology has a way of doing that. And that's what I'd like to do tonight and next Wednesday with this prophecy perspectives as we look at the scriptures and the world around us in a time when the news and the events have been unprecedented and disturbing, the sound theology and prophetic insights of the word of God and the scriptures won't cause us more fear and they won't cause us more confusion. But we'll put our eyes and our priorities and our hope back on Jesus, the one who is seated on his throne, the one who's in total control, the one who's coming soon. Do you believe that? And quite possibly sooner than we think. If we go back to January 1st, go back to New Year's Day of this year, I doubt you'd find anyone in America that predicted that by early March and all through spring, the nations, this nation, many nations would be shut down. That thousands upon thousands of schools and colleges would be closed and everybody would move to 100% online. That church doors would be closed. With services moved to online and streaming, maybe a few drive-in services here and there. Small groups and prayer groups moved to conference calls and virtual meetings. Although I've actually been glad to see more people in prayer on our calls, which has been great. But nevertheless, haircuts, homework, office work, workouts, all done at home now. That college and pro sports would be canceled altogether. Restaurants closed. Disney World closed. Movie theaters closed. Beaches closed. Little leagues, playgrounds, retail stores, all closed. And again, not just here, but all over the world. First world nations, third world nations, rich people, poor people, everyone responding to an invisible threat. In a sense, you think about it, there's always been an invisible threat. The enemy, sin, can't see it, but boy, you see the impact of it. But around us right now, we have a virus that can't be seen, that has far more questions these days than answers, and has shut large portions of our planet down, and really done it in a matter of weeks. And of course, the bigger tragedy is the lives that have been lost, people that are fighting on the front lines, people that have 
died, more than 210,000 worldwide have already passed. And we have no idea how destructive the ripple effects <coughs> of the economic impact will be on our own nation and nations around the world as both the illness itself and the economic impact can stir fear in us. No question about it. Which again should cause us to look at all these things more closely through the lens of Scripture and a spirit-led understanding of what's unfolding. And it's my prayer that this brief teaching strengthens and resettles us and is encouraging us to be ready for Christ and to be actively used for Christ. Both of them, ready but also active. Prophetic unfolding should stir our faith as we see the scriptures unfolding. Jesus said it this way in Luke 21, 28. Now when you see these things about to happen, begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. If this world isn't your home, this is great news, isn't it? We're soon going to be with Jesus. We're closer than we've ever been. Tonight on this Wednesday night, we're closer than we've ever been. But in light of this rapidly changing year, I want to lead off with three passages that frame where we're at in history and in biblical prophecy as best we can see it right now, because prophecy always becomes more and more clear the closer we get to the finality. We have about 6,000 years of recorded history. And the times we're living in are some of the most unique in their characteristics. Remember how Linus comforted Lucy that the world wouldn't have a total flood as it did in Noah's day? But Jesus did say that as it was in the days of Noah, it would be in the last days, also referred to as the latter days or the end times or the end days or the end of age. So the closer we get to the end of this earth, it'll have similarities with God's first worldwide judgment. But it's different. And it's also... In this final phase, it's a rejection of Jesus because, remember, Jesus had not been sent in the time of Noah. The scriptures pointed to a coming Messiah, but Jesus in our time has already come. He's been on his throne for 2,000 years. So the world is rejecting God's given son, which is a different component than the flood of Noah's day. But understanding our times, let's look first in the Old Testament uh, turn with me, or you can look at your screen, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, but also verses 9 and 10. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. Many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, 
and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. God wants you and I, if we're saved, the wise to understand, made purified, made white, a bride ready for the coming of Jesus. But he tells us that knowledge is going to increase, an exponential explosion of knowledge. Think about all the knowledge that has increased in just our lifetime. Remember when Facebook didn't exist? Remember when iPhones didn't exist? It's only like a decade ago. Now they're ubiquitous, all of these things. Knowledge has increased. Travel, speed, information, but also evil would increase, it says. But there's also many shall be made purified. There's a, there's a little bit of great comfort there. There's going to be a harvest. Many shall be purified. Not a few, many. Let's be part of that work. Jesus wants us to be ready but also active. Now back to the New Testament and the words of Jesus just days before the cross, there from the Mount of Olives, also called the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus prophetically speaks of what will come to pass. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, which means disease, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. So Jesus says there's going to be a falling away. And at that time, the disciples couldn't imagine a bunch of people misusing Jesus' name. You either followed Jesus or you didn't. But now we know there's many cults that have used his name. Many people call themselves Christians and are not born again. Many are tares growing among wheat. Many are falling away from the faith. Yeah, I believe in God. I just don't believe anything he says. Yeah, I believe in the Lord. I just don't believe the scriptures. A great falling away, a cooling off. There'll be global catastrophes, wars, and rumors of wars. So all of these things, Jesus forewarned that he'd say, you would see all of this come bubbling to the surface as he gets closer to his return. Back to the Old Testament one more time. Our third passage, back to the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 3 and 18. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog. That's a title. The prince of Rosh. Meshach and Tubal, which I believe, again, speaks to the nation of the north of Russia and Turkey and that area. And it will come to pass... At the same time when Gog, again the title, the prince of Rosh, comes against the land of Israel that my fury will show in my face. In other words, God will come to Israel's defense when an empire or a strong nation comes straight out of the north, right down against Israel. Right out of the north. Now, this is to Israel as a nation. Very specific prophecy. Now, Israel here, in this last portion of text, Israel takes center stage. Now, that wouldn't even, even have been possible prior to 1948. It actually took the Holocaust and the murder, Hitler's murderous spree against not only all of Europe and Russia, but 
primarily his hatred for the Jews as anti-Semitic, demonic focus against anyone that was Jewish, that came coming out of World War II led to Israel getting their land back and becoming a nation. And the dead bones, as Ezekiel talks about as well, the dry bones coming back to life. So Israel as a nation was not even possible prior to 1948. So this prophecy, if you're reading it in 1930 or 1935, even 1945, it didn't square because who could come from the north and attack Israel? Israel's not a nation. It had changed hands numerous times under Islamic control, British, uh, the British Empire, but Israel will retake center stage. And Jesus, he has a reminder for us also in the Olivet Discourse, when he's standing there on the Mount of Olives, much of what he spoke about in the Mount of Olives has everything to do with Israel, everything to do with Jerusalem, the temple. And so uh, Israel was center stage in the Olivet Discourse, just as we see in this prophecy in Ezekiel that a nation will come against Israel. But Jesus says, uh, here the reminder to watch the fig tree. He says, you know when summer is near, Watch the fig tree. You'll see, and one of the one of the uh, uh, one of the names for Israel is the fig tree. So you you can watch Israel as a nation. Say when it's really getting ripe, we can see that God is getting closer and closer to fulfilling prophetic timeline events. So while the coronavirus is currently dominating our news. And I believe it does play a role, and we'll get to that more next week. I believe the coronavirus does play a role in unfolding events and prophetic unfolding. Israel will return, even though right now Israel's not the main part of the news right now. Everything is coronavirus, COVID-19, but Israel will return to center stage and is, has just stepped slightly left or right and is still on the stage, but just stepping back behind the curtain for a Remember, this, our, our minds, we, we're so rapid fire with the news these days. Everything we're seeing around us has only been a couple of months, whereas God has been putting Israel back at the center since 1948 all the way here till 2020. But from a prophetic uh, and priority standpoint, Israel will be very central and always related to the coming of Messiah the rejection of Messiah, and the return of Messiah. Think about that. The coming of Messiah was before Jesus ever came. The rejection of Messiah, while Jesus was on the earth, he was rejected. And then his second coming, his return to the earth. And Israel plays a role in that because Jesus is from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is of the tribe of Judah. And so the, the interconnectedness of Christ and Israel and prophecy will always be there. Let's understand where we're at right now as it relates to time, Israel as a nation, the church, the first coming of Christ, his coming for his bride, and then the second coming when he comes back to the earth. Some of you will remember this piece of technology. Does this look familiar to you if you were in classes in the 70s and 80s? It was often rolled into a room 
on a cart, had a bunch of wires on the back of it. You didn't have any high-definition projectors back in the day. In high school and college, this is what we had right here. And the teachers and professors, they would lay these clear transparencies on it. And you could write on them with a grease pen. But often, they would lay one view down, and then they would layer something else, and then layer a color one on top of that. And all of a sudden, all the information would start to come alive because you'd lay one on top of the other. And the more you laid on top, because they were see-through, you could see all of them together. And the composite view of, let's say, six or seven of these laid on top of each other started to come alive and say, oh, now I understand you know, how the bone structure works or how I understand uh, how that formula works. They wouldn't be near as helpful if you just have them laid out. You have like one here, one here, one here, one here, but they're not together. But when you layer them on top of each other, they start to make a lot of sense. And that's what I'll be doing as we look at biblical history while we look forward prophetically and understand that God has layers of his will and layers of his plan that are happening in parallel and overlapping. So keep that in mind that a prophetic understanding, for you and I to have a prophetic understanding, we have to have in mind the various layers that God stacks on top. They're clear in one sense, but they're stacked on top of each other, and we can see his unified plan through all of these. Where, where does Israel fit in? Where does the church fit in? Where does Jesus coming the first time, second time, where do these things fit in? Well, let's take a look. As I read earlier from Daniel chapter 12, uh, keep it, listen, listen closely. We'll look at the uh, document, and the, uh, we'll look at the chart and the graphic in just, seven, just a second. But uh, from Daniel 12 and the state of the world, thinking back to what we read in Daniel 12, and as we get closer to the return of Christ, uh, think about what we read there, that all these things, many will be made white, evil will increase, knowledge will increase. But that same prophet Daniel, in the ninth chapter, received a prophecy related to Israel, Jerusalem, the crucifixion of Jesus, the coming of Antichrist, which also, in parallel, it frames for us the church age and God dealing with Israel, his chosen nation, and his church, and remember, the church includes both Jews and Gentiles. And all of this includes this 70th week prophecy. Um, different ages in the Bible, different time periods in the Bible are referred to as dispensations. For example, we have the promise period of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All that was before the law before Moses and the law. Then we have the law period, which starts with Moses all the way until the time of Christ. Then with the time of Christ, we have the church age, also known as the age of grace. And what you're seeing on the chart, if you're looking at the chart already, and I'm sure some of you may be, um, that lays out for us the church age. And so we have the church age here. And as, as I want to clarify where it overlaps and has convergence with Israel and the church. And we have Jesus at 
the center of all of this. But we also can get an understanding when we look at this view of the 70th week, where Israel fits, where the church age fits, where the coming of Christ fits. We also have here an understanding of where we are, where it places us. I didn't create this graphical view, but I really like it. And I've added some layers for additional clarification. So uh, all of the 70 weeks, all of the 70 weeks prophecy that were given to Daniel refer to God dealing with, if you're at home, I can hear you, Israel. All the 70 weeks have God dealing with Israel. Remember I said Israel will take center stage. The coronavirus will not forever be in center stage. It's part of unfolding, but Israel will retake center stage. The 70 weeks have to do with the nation of Israel. Dealing with Israel's rebellion towards the law of God and later its rejection of Christ when Jesus came where? To the lost house of Israel. He came to Galilee. He came to Jerusalem. He died on the cross in Jerusalem. And so as a nation... They rejected the law, then they rejected the covering for the law, being Christ. I'm not speaking of Jewish people individually. I'm a Gentile. I have great friends that are born-again uh, Jewish brothers in Christ. We are all in the body of Christ. God saves us individually, and we're all knitted into, whether you're Jew or Gentile, we're all part of the church, but you have Israel as a nation-state, and you have the church, which includes people from Jewish lineage, the nation state, but at the same time, you have God deals with Israel as a national or a national entity, but individually, each person that gets saved, the Apostle Paul being Jewish, Luke, who's Gentile, all these different, you've got these different people that are all part of the body of Christ in the church, but then Israel itself. God has this special place, special part of prophecy, special part of his plan that, relate to, that relates to Israel as a nation. Now, the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks refer to 70 groups of seven years. So you have a total of 490 years, seven times 70. The first 69 weeks or 483 years, so the first 69 weeks, 483 years, they take place when Israel returns from captivity to rebuild Jerusalem. That starts the clock ticking on the whole 490 years. And from the time to rebuild Jerusalem to the cross, A.D. 30, 31, 32, 33, somewhere in that range, from then to the cross is your 483 years. So 69 weeks until Messiah is what? Cut off. That's what in the same prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is told that the Messiah would be cut off. And of course, Jesus was cut off, but only for what? Three days. Of course, three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. He ascends 40 days later. He sends the Holy Spirit to baptize the church 50 days later. And all of that does what? 
Well, then it ushers in the church age. It ushers in the church age. Age of grace. Jews and Gentiles alike are saved during this period, which is about 2,000 years right now. So if you go from um, Jesus ascending to where we're at right now, 2020, we're using the timeline, even our calendar, is mostly based on Christ himself. And, of course, people changed it lately. They don't like B.C. because it meant before Christ. But the re reality, uh, we're at 2020 A.D. That is specifically tied to Jesus and his time on the earth. He's back in heaven. He's sitting on the throne. But for these 2,000 or so years, we've been in the, in the church age. Now, within the church age, we also, if you're looking at the screen, we have, I believe, and Jesus speaking in his letters to the churches, there in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have Jesus addressing seven churches of Asia. And they were literally seven churches in Asia. The first one he speaks to there, Ephesus. And so you can go through the list. And um, all seven were real churches. They really are in what is today modern-day Turkey. And Jesus addresses each of them, and at that time, they were either being faithful or not faithful. One, uh, one is especially given a special commendation, that's Philadelphia. But three of them seem to be rather on the faithful side, and four on the unfaithful side. And yet, in all seven whether they were faithful or unfaithful, even in the unfaithful churches, there was still a remnant of faithful saints even in the unfaithful churches. And that's still true of literal churches. I'm sp speaking about individual churches. So you can find, you know, 400 and 500 churches in Richmond. No matter the church, if they really are preaching and teaching the Bible, you could have an entire church that's lukewarm and find 5, 10, 50, sometimes more depending on the size of the church, believers who are really part of the faithful remnant. They really are following close to Jesus. They're being filled daily with the Holy Spirit. And so in all seven churches, there was a remnant of faithful, but a few of the churches, the whole church itself was being faithful. And that's certainly what I would desire God to be doing here in Calvary Chapel, Richmond, that we wouldn't have a remnant of people in our church being faithful, but our whole church would be a remnant, like Philadelphia. The whole church is a remnant. And so that is what uh, we would love to see. But this also represents, I believe, a scale of time that stretches out over the 2,000 years of church history. And so if you take a look at the screen, you can see that um, we have entered into, and again, uh, don't take these dates. Again, I didn't, I didn't make this particular chart. I added some layers to it. I highlighted the faithful churches there and just want you to understand that, that the faithful in Christ are going to be raptured, which I'm not going to have a chance to get to that tonight, hopefully next week. But you look at the time period and the last period, remember Jesus talks about, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As it, when you get to the days of Noah, the remnant was small. Now, we can still, you say, well, didn't you say there'll be a harvest? Yes, there can still be a harvest. We have 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, we could have 
a couple hundred million come to Christ and still have six billion reject Christ. Does that make sense? So uh, we can still have a great harvest that has an exponential growth in the body of Christ. And I believe we're seeing that even in the last hundred years. More Muslims have come to Christ than any point in Islamic history, if you kind of take a look at the whole uh, timeline from Muhammad till now. But more Muslims are coming to faith right now in our lifetime than at any point. Same with Jewish people. More Jewish people are coming to Messiah than any point in history, especially post-1948, since that time. And yet there's a huge, the fields are white under harvest, there's a huge window of opportunity for many more to come to Christ. And God will even use the current situation, the, the pandemic, the fear, and all that stuff that's going on around us to have people say, well, maybe I should log into an online service and watch and see what God is saying. So we have two things that are competing at the same time. You can be in the age of the falling away, and I believe we are. Statistics have shown recently, I, I just saw a, a study this week, I believe it was a Barna study, but um, uh, of people that say they believe uh, in God and the Bible, more of them believe in Satan than actually God moving in people's lives. Unbelievable. I mean, it was that 40, only 49% believe that God was working in people's lives, but they believe that Satan, 56% were believing that Satan was having some influence on people in this world. So, hard to believe, but with all the Bibles that we have in our country, I mean, even people that don't believe one, believe in them, probably have one with dust on it. We have, at the same time, a great falling away. Many, many, many Christians, even with the recent pandemic, people should be running to the scriptures, running to, Lord, I just want to be in right relationship with you. And yet we still see even a lot of Christians, ah, I just hope everything gets back to normal and just kind of piddling around until things return. And that is the lukewarmness that is listed on, on the seventh church there, Laodicea. And I believe that's the time period we're in. Now there's overlap because if you look at this, uh, the scale there, the Church of Philadelphia had a specific time period, and yet the Church of Philadelphia still exists right now. In other words, the faithful Church of Brotherly Love still, there's a remnant of Philadelphia right now. The persecuted church, going back, um, that still exists right now. We have a persecuted church right now, just as they had in the early church, that they were faithful as martyrs. We have ones in North Korea and in China so even though you have the seven ages, you also have their distinct and yet they overlap. It's similar if you're in our Hebrew study where uh, we were talking about um, are we sanctified or are we being sanctified? Yes. Is there seven distinct periods of time within the last 2,000 years of church history? Yes. But do they overlap? They do. And yet this final phase is ripe for an antichrist because Jesus said, remember to go back to what he said. He said, many will come in my name and deceive a few. Many, many will be deceived. And so the end times church will see a harvest, will see a remnant that's faithful, but you also will have, unfortunately, many that will reject the scriptures. And 
to go back to our 70 weeks, uh, let's understand the 70-week prophecy here as it relates to Israel and the church. So you have 69 weeks have been completed. That was taking us all the way to the cross. Now you have the gap between the 69th week and the 70th week is roughly a 2,000-year gap as of right now. Now, I personally believe, I personally believe that we are on the latter end of that, um, you know, the, the, the final days before that 70th week kicks in. And I believe, and we'll look at this more next week, uh, that the rapture of the church needs to come before that. But those 70 weeks that relate to Israel, in the last 2,000 years, Israel, for the most part, was not a nation state until 1948. This opens the door because it tells us that part of that 70th week is that an antichrist, someone who is going to try and take over the world's worship of himself as opposed to God and as opposed to his son Jesus, uh, that he'll break a covenant, the sacrifices will stop taking place in Israel in the middle of that 70th week. Well, there's not even sacrifices taking place in Israel right now. So for that to take place, the sacrifices have to restart. And there had to be a restarting of the nation. That took place already. But there has to be likely a rebuilding of the temple necessary for the sacrifices, and the sacrifices have to be stopped. And so this 70th week yet remains. We, though, where are we in proximity to that 70th week starting? Well, we're in the falling away. We have many other things that are taking place. Um, take a look, and this is where we'll pick up next week as well, but I just kind of want to leave with this view right here. You have these 70 weeks, and Israel is back in the land. Everything is ready. The stage is set. Right now, for us, we have all the things that are unfolding around the world. You can see the list that I have up there on the right-hand uh, screen there. We have earthquakes. We have catastrophes. We have a push for globalism. All of these things that Jesus said these would take place. But what God is going to do is that in this age of grace, the church is center stage during this time as the primary vehicle, God sending out his church, which includes both Jewish and Gentile believers. But at some point, as we get all the way to the end, Jesus is going to take his bride with him. And that leaves that 70th week to do two primary things. The last of the seven years of the tribulation period is also referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. And it accomplishes two things simultaneously. Israel is purified as a nation, and then restored at the end of that seven years to their spiritual role as a priestly nation, Jesus as their king and their priest, and in fact, not just Israel, but the whole world. Of course, his throne will be there in Jerusalem. The other component of that 70th week, even though it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, it's also called the Great Tribulation. And all the nations of the world, Israel is judged for their own actions, but all the nations of the world are judged for rejecting the law of God and rejecting Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, the sacrifice for individual sin, but also the one that can heal the nations. 
And the Bible calls that period also the wrath of the lamb. Now, you understand that Jesus is both lion and lamb. You can understand the wrath of the lion. But when it calls Jesus or says of Jesus the wrath of the lamb, that makes it clear that the world will understand that the judgment is due to the, because they rejected the sacrifice. They rejected the Passover lamb. You say, what does all this have to do with right now? Well, everything happening right now, the Bible refers to as labor pains. That what we're seeing is we're getting closer to the birth. The, remember, 69 weeks are completed. Daniel's prophecy dealt with 70 weeks. 69 have been completed for quite some time. The most pivotal being Jesus cut off, but then he rose from the dead, and that initiated this 2,000-year church age. We're getting really close, as I tell the church all the time, I use the hockey analogy, you know, that we're two out of three, uh, or two out of three periods done, 4,000 years of world history, um, in the last 2,000 years, the Bible tells us, are called the last days. When Peter stood up at Pentecost, he said, these are the last days. So this, this last period, to use that hockey analogy, is the third period, and we're way near the end of it. Another way to look at it is you have 12 months in a calendar year. Um, if you said, all right, eight months are gone, September through December is our last four-month year, you would agree with me that we would all say we're in the latter part of the year. If 4,000 years of world history took us to Christ and Pentecost till now is the last 2,000, and Peter said, those are the last days. Well, we're at the end of the end. And we don't know where, if you see my diagram there, where we're at in that red circle. Exactly where, we don't know. But we know that things have accelerated tremendously from 1900, World War I, World War II. And remember, World War II was pivotal in launching Israel back into the land. So where are we? The clock is getting really, really close. Um, you know, sometimes I'll reference the doomsday clock. It says we're you know, just a few minutes before midnight. Even these are unsaved, for the most part, scientists and, and think tank folks that say, wow, we look at all the data, and this world cannot keep on like this for much longer. So we'll look at next week, we'll look more at the, the status of what's going on right now in the world tonight. I wanted to, to set up everything so you come back next week and we're going to zero in on that red that red circle right there and understand what's happening in our in our time in America and around the world the pandemic and other things and what it tells us and informs us as we look forward to what's coming next and again I believe that as you uh, take this time next week as well you will be more encouraged that the Bible will, calm your spirit, that the Bible will say, this isn't your home anyway, that you'll see all the things taking place, and you'll look up where your redemption is drawing nigh. So I invite you to come back. We need to, we need to stop right here for the sake of time, and I'm going to pick up at the same spot, and we're going to look at uh, a little more granular view of what's taking place in our time right now. But to understand now, we had to look back and understand the 70 weeks, where Israel fits in, where the church fits in. And I believe that as we look at that, we'll zero in on that red dot a little more next week. So let's come to a close here. Let me close this in prayer. And uh, thank you for joining tonight. I look forward to covering the part two next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time this evening. 
Lord, we ask and pray that you would give us an understanding of the times, of the scriptures. But Lord, they would do a purifying work in us. It would cause us to want to be home with you even more, but also to bring as many people with us as possible, that we would share the gospel with a lost and dying world, a world that is deceived, a world that is still, even with all the things they see around them, not turning to Christ that has all the answers. Instead, Lord, maybe trusting in the government or uh, some future plans or somebody with a solution or a vaccine or all these different things. But Lord, we're putting our trust in you, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who is the lamb, uh, the lion, our coming king, but our current high priest and savior. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would make, even what I've shared, if it, it, it's a lot of information, Lord, I pray that you would make it clear and even use next Wednesday to further solidify the understanding, Lord. But we wouldn't just understand just to know things. It would have a transformational work in us. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the evening. Join us this Sunday. 10.30 a.m. for our Sunday service and next Wednesday for part two of our Prophecy Perspectives. God bless. Have a great evening. Bye-bye.